talk about little Johnny. We have to give young children a name, and Johnny seems to be one of the names that most, uh, most people use in illustrations, little Johnny. Well, according to the illustration, Johnny is saying his evening prayers, and he's not real happy uh, about the result. He's saying his evening prayers because his parents have taught him there's power in prayer, and there's promise in prayer, and we need to pray. So Johnny is down on his knees and he's praying and his mama, she's listening through the door to just hear what what he's saying because he just doesn't look very happy about his devotionals, his prayers in the evening. So he's praying and she's listening in and he says, Lord, I've been praying for daddy to get a raise. And he still hasn't got a raise. See, kids are pretty honest about things. I've been praying for Mama to not have headaches anymore. And she's still having those headaches. Every day she has to take a pill and lay down for a while. I've been praying for my sister to quit bothering me. But she's still bothering me. I've been praying for Uncle John to find a job. And he's still... Hadn't found a job. Lord, I'm tired of praying for this family and not getting any results. Pretty honest, isn't it? Pretty honest. There's all these excuses for unanswered prayer. And one of them is, and it's a theological thing that we come up with because of this vacuum of power and vacuum of unanswered prayer... This, this need for God to come through. And it is that God is sovereign. He does what He wants and no one knows what He wants. So it's impossible to pray in His will because you can never really determine His will. So you can never ask according to His will because you can never determine His will. And I'm going to kind of blow that away with the Scripture itself because the Bible is the revealed will of God. And the promises that He's made... The other theological thing is no one knows his purpose for your life. He may have purpose to give you cancer to teach you something. That's disqualified by this scripture. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, and he never changes. He never, ever changes. He never, ever, 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 for any reason or under any circumstance changes every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights in whom there is no variableness not even a shadow of turning that means there's not even a possibility that he's going to change his character is set and is eternal as god himself is praise god hallelujah so if it isn't good and perfect it isn't coming from god mark it down Can God use something that the devil is doing? Amen. Yes, he can. But is he the author of it? Listen to this. God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man in the book of James. God cannot be tempted. Neither will he tempt you. Amen. With evil. But every man is tempted when he's led away of his own lust and enticed. Amen. God doesn't change. He's the Lord God of Israel, and the Bible said He changes not from everlasting to everlasting. Thou art God. 
That's why his word is so eternally relevant to us because heaven and earth will pass away. But the word of God will abide forever. It's as eternal as God himself is. Praise God. And that's the anchor for our soul is to get into God's word, get God's word inside of us and learn how to stand on it. Praise God. And particularly that comes into play when we begin to pray. For that beautiful scripture in John's gospel, chapter 15, if you abide in me and my word abides in you. Look at the relevance to prayer there. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask what you will. Because your will, because of the word living in you, your will and his will are going to synchronize. How many's ever drove a stick shift? How many's ever ground the gear because it didn't synchronize right? You didn't, you didn't uh, shift just right. I used to drive a four-speed uh, for Tampa Electric. Actually, the five street had a gra- granny low. They called it a granny low. You put that in granny low, you could pull a boulder. Man, that thing will pull. Old granny low, they called it. Most people running in granny low, by the way. Never shift gears. Listen to this carefully. If you abide in me, if you abide in me, if you abide in me and my word abides in you. Here's the answer prayer. Listen to it. Listen to it. You will ask what you will. This is the words of Christ. This is not a preacher with holy hype on Sunday morning. This is Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You will ask what you will. Why? Because your will and His will will now be synchronized. There won't be any grinding of the gears. They're going to fit perfectly. And this is the confidence that we have in Him. If we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that he heareth us, we know that we have the petition that we've desired of him. So the power of prayer is not just in the person who prays, but in the God who hears. That's a nugget. That's for Doug to put up online. Amen. Say it with me. The power of prayer is not just in the person who prays, but more importantly... It's in the God who hears. And the issue of prayer is not how much faith you have, but whether you are right with your God. You see, you go to one of these hyper-faith meetings, and they're just going to talk about believing God, standing on the Word and believing God. They're not going to talk about pleasing God. Amen? Because then you're going to have to deal with sin. And who wants to go and... Repent of sin to get a prayer answer. When all you have to do is believe with all of your heart to get the same prayer answer. The devil doesn't want a service where people deal with sin. But the first and foremost reason of unanswered prayer, and let me finish John. Let me finish John. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Every branch in me that beareth fruit, he purges it. That it... And this is what's happening here this morning. If you're a fruit-bearing branch, God is going to press, a, press, press, press your old flesh. 
He wants to get off of you the things that hinder you and the things that create intention between you and Him. He wants you to be synchronized with Him. When a man's ways please the Lord, what happens? What happens in terms of victory in your life? When a man's ways please the Lord. When a man's ways please the Lord. Some people building their faith to please themselves. To indulge themselves with whatever they feel will make them happy. His will is not an issue in their life. So they will never discover His will. If you're called to be a missionary, don't pray. Don't pray for a new Cadillac. You don't need it down at the end of the river. You need a dugout canoe to get you where you need to go. I remember the guy that went into missions. He preached for about a year to some real primitive people down in the Congo. And they were building a road. They were, they, a man had hired them to build a road into the town. And they were, they, they, they were busting up rocks with these big sledgehammers and, and wedges and bursting up rocks and then packing those rocks, those heavy rocks to get them out of the way so they could put the road through. They were doing it by hand. The missionary had some special offering, and he went into the town, and he bought 32 brand-new wheelbarrows. 32 brand-new wheelbarrows, shiny new, had them ordered, shipped to this little town, and then brought them to the place where they were building the road by hand, and he gave them out. And he assumed everybody knew everything they needed to know about a wheelbarrow. Not about the little boy that grabbed a wheelbarrow and his mama said, Get away from that wheelbarrow. You know you don't know anything about machinery. <laughs> Amen. You know what you don't know can hurt you. What you don't know can hurt you. And you know what? I preach to a lot of know-it-all. That come in here with an attitude, I know that. I know all there is to know about prayer. I know all there is to know about this. I know all. No, you don't. How do you know I don't? Because I don't. And I'm the preacher. You mean you'll admit it? Yes, sir, because I want to know what I don't know. Because what you don't know can do more than hurt you. It can defeat you. It can destroy you. My people perish because of what they don't know. Can you say amen for a lack of knowledge? My people go into captivity. There's the bondage in the church for a lack of knowledge. People that don't know who they are in Christ and who Christ is in them are going to be defeated as sure as I'm standing here and all of the Bible study and Sunday school classes and singing in choirs, all of that, including preachers in a the pulpit, they'll be bound. Some are bound this morning by homosexuality. Some are bound this morning by alcoholism. Some are bound this morning. We just had a pastor's meeting with a pastor of a, the church at the mall in, in, in Lakeland. It's a mall that was bought and now is a church. And we had a pastor's meeting with a, over 100 pastors. And, and the message was the, the pink elephant in the room. It's pornography. The addiction to it. Amazing the percentage of pastors bound by pornography. 
My youngest son, who is now 42, my oldest is 52. My youngest son, at one point, was bound because he was introduced as almost preteen to hardcore pornography by a friend. And he said, Dad, it's like a drug that grabs a hold of you and don't want to let you go. James Robinson, when he was an evangelist, he actually preached to more people than Billy Graham because he didn't just hold meetings every three months or so. He held meetings, meeting after meeting after meeting all over the world. And he said, I would, I would be sitting on the front. I would be preaching, making an altar call. And I would notice a lady sitting on the front row dressed scantily, and, and I would feel that pull. And I couldn't seem to break it. And I said, Lord, I'm not worthy to stand behind the pulpit because I feel that pull. You see, if we, if we really want to get close to God and truly right with God, we got to get honest with God. Amen. We can't continue to conceal or justify what we know that, that He says that we need deliverance from. Amen. And I appreciate the forthrightness and the candidness and the openness of James Robinson. And James said... He said, you know, this thing plagued me until I almost, I felt like I was unworthy to get in the pulpit because he didn't give in to this. He didn't have an affair or anything, but he felt that pull and he said, the very pull threatened me because I didn't know, I didn't trust my flesh. I didn't trust myself under the right circumstances. See, there's a place called the Notel Motel. But the Bible said, be sure, this is one thing you can count on. And God won't even do it for His own name's sake, and certainly not His preacher's. Amen. Listen, He will expose sin sooner or later. Be sure. This is one thing you can take to the bank. This is one thing you can count on. Be sure. Be sure. Be sure. Your sin, unconfessed, unrepented of, undelivered from. Be sure. Your sin will find you out. It may take a long time. I heard the true story. I, you, how many ever watched The Little House on the Prairie? I, I, I love the pioneer stories. I love those, those peaceful times. That, uh, always somebody dying, but nevertheless, it's true. It was true to life. Amen. Mama's dying trying to find somebody to take care of her 12 kids. Good luck anyway. God bless her heart. Be sure your sin will find you out. Story that came out, true story out of the pioneer days. Little girl that didn't have nothing. They had a neighbor whose farm was doing very good. And she used to play with that little girl. And she coveted that little girl's doll that she got for Christmas. Her grandma actually made the doll for her, cut out the pattern, filled it with oats that you feed the horses with. And sewed it up into the shape of a doll. And she stole that doll. Took it home with her. And she hid it. And the little girl talked to her mother about it. The little girl's mama said, did, you, did your daughter happen to take that doll? And she heard them talking. And mama come and asked her and said, did you take that doll? They're missing that doll after you went over and played. Did you t-? She said, no, mama, no, mama, no, mama, no, mama, no, 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 mama. And then she got afraid her mom would find it. So one night, she snuck out the window, took the doll, dug a little shallow hole way in the back of the property, and buried it. 
and the spring rains came. And guess what happened? In the form of a doll, oats came up. In the form of a doll. And her mama said, I never seen nothing like that. These oats are growing in the form of a doll. Guess what? Your sin. It may take a while. But God said, take this to the bank. See, the dirty word in church. If I uttered a four-letter word this morning, nobody would probably miss a beat because a lot of preachers are doing it. I just don't do it. But there are preachers doing that. But it's not the four-letter word that causes such a shock to the church of Jesus Christ. It's the three-letter word. S-I-N. I meet with pastors, and one of the pastor's wife is named Cynthia. I said, my, my wife's name is Cynthia. We just call her Sin for short. Not that kind of sin. It's the C-Y-N. Sin. Be sure. And, and it's not just because it's going to be exposed, and he does allow it to be exposed. If he can't deal with the human heart and get repentance... He will allow it to come to light. He will bring it to light. The things that are said in secret, what happens? Nobody sees me. Nobody knows. Shall be shouted from the housetops. And I'm going to tell you something, preacher falls. CNN shouts it. Can you say amen? They're on it. They're on it like flies on a flat-footed flugel horse. Did you get that flat-footed flugel horse? Okay. I've never seen one of those, but evidently the flies fly all around them. Did you get that? All right. They'll be on it. They'll be on it. Anyone who's claimed to be a Christian who falls, it's going to make headline news. And that's why when Jonathan and Saul fell in battle, David didn't rub it in. He knew what the enemy would do with their failure. He said, publish it not in Gath, tell it not in Ashkelon. In other words, the twin cities of the Philistines are going to have it on the front page. The mighty warrior king of Israel is dead. They didn't just kill them. They mutilated their bodies. They chopped them into pieces. Saul and Jonathan were chopped into pieces. And they had to burn the flesh from the bones and collect the pieces of bone to bury the bones. This is defeat with a capital D. And David is lamenting the defeat because this was not just anyone being defeated. This was a covenant man with an anointing and an appointing from God. And David says, Saul and Jonathan, his son, were like eagles in every battle to defend Israel. They never lost a battle. And he said to the women, the daughters of Jerusalem, the covenant ladies, they brought back the spoils of war every time they won, and, and you were bejeweled. You were, you were blessed by the victories that they won over the people that came to take from you. Not only did they not take from you, they got what they had took from them. You lived in a blessing because God was with them. They were swift 
as eagles in battle. But don't tell it in Gath. And don't publish it in Escalon. How could this happen? How are the mighty through the anointing? How are the mighty? It's one thing for the weak to fail. How are the mighty fallen? It's as if, it's as if, it's as if they had not been anointed. It's as if God's Spirit was not with them. They never had the Spirit of God with them, but they did have the Spirit of God with them, just like Samson had the Spirit of God with him. But what short-circuited that power in his life? S, not C-Y-N, not S-I-N. I don't know how in the world, well, I know in the world, but I don't understand how repentance has got such a bad spin on it. When a preacher that preaches to 30,000 people in his personal congregation on Sunday morning and preaches to tens of thousands of people by radio and television can stand and boldly proclaim, I don't talk about sin to my people. They need lifting up. Honey, I'm going to tell you something. Until the sin issue is settled, listen, judgment doesn't first begun, begin in, the, in, the, in the, the house of ill repute. It doesn't first begin in the gambling casino. Amen. It doesn't start, amen, in the places that we would consider uh, Satan's headquarters. It doesn't start there. Judgment begins where people have enough light to obey if they had a heart to obey. Can you say amen? Judgment doesn't begin where there's gross darkness, but where there's a bright shining light. To know to do good. That's where the light has shined in the darkness of your heart. To know to do good and do it not to Him. It is sin. And sin always was a separator from God. Let me tell you, let me, let me read something positive real quick. Because I can't get through all of this. James 5 and verse 16. Confess your faults to one another. And pray for one another. That you may be healed. See, you, you, we, need to pray for, we need to pray for righteousness again. James Robinson's own testimony. He said, I couldn't do this by myself. And he is, was primarily from a Baptist background. But he said, I needed deliverance and He didn't know anyone from that background to pray that prayer. He said, but I had a Pentecostal brother. I had a Pentecostal brother. A Pentecostal brother. And he said, I asked, I told him, I confessed to him what what I was dealing with and wrestling with. And he said, he laid hands on me and prayed with me to be delivered. And God set me free. That don't mean you're never tempted, but that, that sense that I'm, 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 I'm so bound by something that it's there all the time and it's making me feel like a hypocrite when I stand in the pulpit. He got delivered from that. He got set free from that. But he confessed something to somebody. I'm going to give you some preacher's testimony. Jimmy Swaggart said, I had good brothers 
that I could have went to and told them about my weakness and what was overwhelming me. But he said, I didn't. I could have kept it from being shouted. And was it shouted? It's still being shouted. Amen? Amen? They love to point the camera on the failures of the anointed people. And I've heard this, and don't you receive this, and don't you agree with it. Well, the reason it happened, the devil hated him because his ministry was going into all the world. Listen, the devil hates everybody. You can't blame the devil for the flesh giving in to temptation. He is the tempter. That's his job. That's what he does. We're the person who has to draw the lines. Can you say man? And it begins with confessing our own weaknesses to one another. And when any man, regardless of who he is, gets so high on the pedestal that people have placed him on, that they don't feel that they ever need to repent of anything. They don't ever need to be on their face. They never need to be in an altar. When a man says, whether he says it vocally, verbally, or in attitude and activity, Behold, I stand. That's the man. Not the man in the altar. Not the man confessing his sin, asking for help to overcome it, but the person who is implying, I don't need that. When a man says, behold, I stand. I'm very cautioned when I preach like this because I see people caught in sin's snare and except for the grace of God, there go I. I'm not that strong. I'm not that that. Righteous and holy in myself, but it's in my Lord. And it's in the fact that He asked me when I pray every single day, if I say I have absolutely no sin in attitude or activity, I'm a liar. I'm not honest. I'm disingenuous. I'm not telling the truth. But if... Here's the positive thing about repentance. If I confess my sin, He's faithful. And he's justified. He don't sweep it under the rug. Amen. He applies the blood of Jesus to me. And he puts his righteousness to my account and forgives me. Hallelujah. 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 From the pulpit to the choir to the Sunday school teacher to everyone in the pew. This is for everybody. Repentance is a powerful thing because it opens the door for restoration. Hallelujah. And it takes that ground from the devil. Confess your faults to one another. One of the hardest things we have to do in all pro-pastors, which I'm a part of and spoke to pastors on several occasions, and I meet with three pastors every Tuesday morning at 7 a.m., We confess our faults to one another. Why do you do that? Well, I just read it. Why don't you do it? Because I don't have anybody. Find somebody. I can't trust anybody. Keep looking. Ask God to give you somebody. Because if you keep covering it up, be sure. Be sure. Be sure. Be sure. It may take a long time. Someone said the wheels of God turn slow. But they grind exceedingly fine. 
There's not a servant of God that God covered up for in all the Bible. Can you say amen? There's not a servant of God that God said, Shh, hope nobody finds this out. Now, David did say, don't tell the Philistines about it. But it's going to come to light. And it came to light. Where did it come to light with Saul and Jonathan? It came to light on the battlefield when they assumed and presumed that God would give them a victory while they were in sin. What was Jonathan's sin? He was so sweet, so committed to David because he knew his daddy was wrong. And when push come to shove, he went to battle with his daddy that he knew was wrong with God. And he died with him. Amen? Amen. There comes a point when you gotta, you gotta, you 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 can't just go to that old dead church because your grandma went there all those years, amen, amen. You can't just go with the flow anymore. You've got a soul, you've got a life, you've got a God and a Christ who died for you, and you've got to decide, amen, to follow Him. Thank God for the churches that people are leaving. They're leaving it because the church is compromised. Amen. And because of the compromise, they won't sit still for it. Thank God for the upheaval. Thank God for the shaking that is here today. Anglican church is not known as a very spiritual body in England. But she can't go along with the affiliate here in America. And they banned them from any influence in any of their enclaves and any of their gatherings together. They said, you can't have any influence, you can't have any say, because you're going to try to corrupt this church just like you've corrupted your own. And that's the Anglican. That's not some Pentecostal spirit-filled body. I'm still waiting to hear the assembly of God stand up. I'm still waiting to hear the church of God stand up. I'm still waiting to hear Christian ministers stand up. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting. But if we got preachers that say, I never talk about sin then the devil's got an open door into the lives of those people. There will be no repentance, and until there is, there will be no revival. We put the emphasis on prayer and not on repentance, and until there's repentance, God doesn't hear the prayer. We gather in Washington, D.C., and we pray for America. We claim this scripture in Chronicles. If my people which are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, I will hear from heaven and heal. No, 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 no. If my people, which are called by my name, there's where the power lies. Amen. There's where the responsibility lies. It's the people that have the light. If my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn and turn and turn and turn and turn and turn. I was following a semi-tractor trailer the other day, and I was hoping a mud flap would fall off. Because if the mud flap fell off, I was going to bring it to church. Because both mud flaps had Yosemite Sam with both, both his guns drawn. And it said, turn or burn. Turn or burn. Turn or burn. Now, I do not believe in salvation without repentance. Repentance is not a work. 
to obtain salvation. It is an attitude of heart, amen, that allows a person to truly get saved. Glory to God. And without it, you can't still love sin and you can't still love the devil and serve him and claim salvation with God. There has to be a turning. Repentance mean, doesn't mean crying alligator tears at church and going right back to the same old pattern. Can you say, man, I've seen those alligator tears. It don't impress me anymore. Whether you weep or whether you don't weep, when you walk out of here, that's what matters. Can you say, man? And repentance in the military would be an about face. It means a 180 degree turn. Can you say, man, I was going this way and I knew it was leading me to destruction and I turned around and went that way and it was God's way. Can you say, man, and God bless me for it. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Let's go back to John 15 just for a minute. I am the vine and you are the branches. I've said it so many times. He's divine and you're the branch. Don't ever forget he's the source. He's the source. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. But every branch in me that bears fruit, he pets it. Because at least I'm getting something out of them. Huh? Every branch that bears fruit, he says, Oh, you're so wonderful. Oh, bless your heart, Brother Venable. I know you're not as fruitful as you could be, but I'm happy just to see anything. No, no. Every branch that bears fruit, he pets it and says, Oh, you're doing such a good job. Ain't doing as good as you did a few years ago, but hey, there's a lot of people ain't even served me. God bless your poor old heart, Brother Venable. No, you know what? Every branch that bears fruit, every branch that bears fruit, every branch that has the potential to be fruitful for him, every true child of God, therefore, every true child of God, he purges it. He purges it. Spring is coming. People are going to start cutting on their bushes. Amen. Why? To hurt them? No. To get off the dead stuff. So that the new and the fresh and the fruitful can come forth. And you know what he said was the purging instrument, the pruning instrument? Now you are clean <laughs> from the dead stuff from, through the word that I have spoken unto you. That means the Word has to do some cutting. The Bible said it's like a two-edged sword. It cuts going and coming. Can you? <laughs> I said it cuts going and coming. Now, this is not necessarily biblical, but I like it. One edge is for the devil. And the other is for you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. The Word of God's got to cut some of that dead stuff in us. We can't be purged without it. Oh, no, you're not going to get petted every Sunday like that preacher said. God doesn't want sinful people petted. They're in jeopardy. They're in peril. He wants them set free. Hallelujah. He wants them set free. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. When we introduce someone to a pastor's table to where you build trust and confess your faults your weaknesses your temptations we are what one preacher he don't meet with us but he, he says here's how we operate at my table he said i always ask the other three he said he said he said because you want to build that relationship with your wife 
It's a great boon against temptation is to really have a real wonderful relationship maritally. And he says, have you taken your wife out to dinner this week? Have you taken her out on a date this week? And if everybody says yes, then he said, I got a second question. Have you taken anybody else's wife out to dinner? Amen? You don't have to worry about that. We worry about you anyway. I know you're looking. I can tell. That's why we're praying for you. Flee. That's right. Amen. We ain't even going to go over there. We're not going to go over there. I don't want my sin to find me out. I want God to expose it to me. Because I'm not good enough at self-evaluation to see it in myself. Amen? Oh, by the way, when you're dealing with sin in someone else's life that you can see so clearly, you've got to do something before you even qualify to try to help them. Amen? Before you try to deal with the moat in your brother or sister's eye. You know what a moat is? A speck of dust. A little grain of sand, but it's irritating, causing the eye to water and turn red. And what do you usually do? You get a handkerchief. You get a handkerchief. And you take the corner of the handkerchief while they're wide-eyed, and very gently and carefully, with a concern not to do damage or harm, you reach over and you dab that corner. And you catch that little thing and get it out. But you've got to have clarity of vision, not just to see the moat in your brother's eye. But in order to have that kind of clarity, you've got to cast the beam. A beam is what holds a house up. Self-deception is some serious business. You can't rightfully assess your own heart. You know why? Because the heart of man is desperately wicked. And deceitful above all things. Who can know it? I'll tell you somebody who knows it. I'll tell you somebody who knows it. I'll tell you somebody who knows it. God knows it. Man looks at the outward appearance. God likes Superman. He got x-ray vision. He don't care about that big cross around your neck. He's looking at your heart. He don't care about how many scriptures you can quote. I went and prayed for a man in the hospital, Dad Reedy. He's a member of a church baptized in water. But he was dying. They called his son the Red Cross. Was paying to, or, or made a way to work with his wife to get his son in the military to come home from Germany because his daddy's dying and he bought the plane ticket and was headed to Tampa. His wife attended our church and she asked me to go pray for her husband. I said, does he know the Lord? She said, well, he says he does. See, the person that lives with you probably knows a little more about that. You can't go to heaven on I hope I make it. You've got to have some no-so. Like you were saying this morning, it's so good to know your sins are forgiven. It's so good to know that you have salvation. It's so good to know where you're going when you draw your last breath. To know it because His Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of the living God. Hallelujah. 
So I prayed for Dad Reedy, and I said, I said, Mr. Reedy, I'm your wife's pastor. He wouldn't darken the door of a Pentecostal church, but now he's facing eternity, and all of that is changing. And I said, Dad, if you passed away, if you passed away, Mr. Reedy, I called him, if you passed away, Mr. Reedy, do you know without any shadow of a doubt that you'd go to heaven? Member of a church, baptized in water, name is on the church roll. Shook the preacher's hand, told he was saved. But in his heart of hearts, he knew he wasn't. Because he said, no, I cannot say that. I said, sir, would you like to know? Would you like to know? And he said, yes, I would, in the affirmative. And we prayed the sinner's prayer. It can be prayed a thousand different ways. It always has the same elements in it. I have sinned against you, and I'm sorry. I repent of my sin, and Lord, I receive you as my Savior. Those elements have to be in the true sinner's prayer. And he prayed that prayer. And thank God he revived. He lived for three or four more years. And he was one of the hardest working guys. This old guy that was almost gone became one of the hardest working guys in our church. He would come and work around it in the hot sun so it would be pretty for Sunday morning. He never missed a service. He just, he changed. I mean, he changed. <laughs> but there was a guy beside of him. This was a pre-surgical area. And, and, and I, I looked over and that guy was just staring at me. And so I walked around the curtain. I could see his face through the curtain. I walked around and I said, sir, would you like me to pray with you? See, the Holy Spirit was all over that room. And when he comes, what's he going to do? Pat everybody on the back say, it's all right. It's all right. Everything is all right. No, he's going to convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Can you say, man? So there he is under conviction. And I walk over, and here's his defense. I said, sir, I'd love to pray for you. What, do you, what are you going into surgery for? He told me. He said, they told me I have a 50-50 chance. Well, the initial prayer most people want is... Let's tip that balance. Let's ask God to know. I said, well, sir, I'm going to pray that God will take you through this surgery. I'm going to pray that he will help you. But if you didn't wake up from this surgery, do you know where you were going? Do you know with any shadow of a doubt that you would go to heaven? That's the, that's the listen, there's nothing more important in all of the gospel message. Nothing more important than this. Nothing. What shall it profit a man if a man gain the whole world? And there's a message of gaining the world out there that, that is, oh, so much. It's not worthy to be compared with where you're going to spend forever. Amen. And he said, here's what he said. He said, I have, I'm a member of, told me the church. I have been baptized in water. He's defensive. I thought, you don't have to convince me. I didn't tell him that, but he, you don't have to convince me. It's not me. You're going to stand before it's God. And we have his criteria by which he's going to judge us. We have the word of God. And he said, I have had the navigator's course. It's a Bible memory system. And then he said, I can quote the book of Matthew without opening the Bible. I don't mean to. Chapter, I'm talking about the book of Matthew. And I thought, man, I can't even quote a scripture without the Holy Ghost. I don't have a photographic memory. But quoting the book of Matthew and knowing the Christ in the book of Matthew is two different things. 
quoting the word and applying the word. I said, sir, that's not what I ask. I'm not asking your church affiliation. I'm not asking if you've been baptized in water. I'm not asking how much scripture you know. I'm asking you if you don't wake up, do you know you're going to heaven? And he got serious because the Holy Ghost was all over that room. He beat me there. And when he comes, what will he do? Pat you on the head and tell you it's all right when it's all wrong? No, he will convince the world of what? The three-letter word. The three-letter word. The three-letter word. The three-letter word. And he was convicted of sin. And he wanted to be saved. There are churches where people have never heard the gospel as long as they were in that denomination because they don't preach the fullness of the gospel to them. Therefore, they're never convicted until they get into a situation where it has to be real and not just religion. And we prayed the sinner's prayer and tears ran down his cheeks of repentance and then the tears of joy, of peace that filled his soul. Hallelujah. So I never take anything at face value. I want people to know that they know that they know that if you draw your last breath here, you're going to draw your next breath there. Can you say amen? And if there's something hindering your prayer life and your enjoyment of fellowship with the Lord, that we deal with that so effectively that you can get back the joy of that relationship and fellowship and you can have the joy of answered prayer. The joy of answered prayer. Listen, Jesus said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away and every branch that bears fruit, he purges it that it might bring forth more fruit. Hallelujah. I have preached messages that has went home and got down before God said, Lord, I don't know if anybody in the congregation needed that, but I did. Don't think your pastor's preaching from a pinnacle of self-sufficiency and self-righteousness. I am not. I'm in the trenches with you. Sometimes it gets me while I'm preaching. And I told my wife driving home the other day, I said, boy, I'm going to make some changes. Lord put his finger on something while I was preaching. Amen. So, so don't think I'm just looking at you when I'm saying these things. Hallelujah. I'm including myself. I'm inclusive. Paul said among sinners, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess that I'm the chief. And the reason he did that is not because of his, his, his meanness. It was because of his persecution of the church and through the persecution of Christians persecuting Christ himself but he said I'm forgiven I'm cleansed glory to God glory to God glory to God and Jesus said abide in me and my word abide in you because apart from me it's like cutting that dead branch off apart from me cutting that living apart from me you can do nothing And then he goes on in John 15 to say these things. And what did he say? If you abide, number one, you'll be fruitful. Let me put it this way. You will have fruit perpetual. Go forth and bring forth fruit and that your fruit remain. Fruit perpetual. You won't just have a season of revival. It'll be something consistent in your life. 
The joy is consistent. The peace is consistent. The goodness, the meekness, the kindness is consistent. It's now integrated into your character. Hallelujah. Amen. Fruitfulness. Fruit perpetual. Go forth and bring forth and that it what? Rotten fall off and have to go back and start the whole thing. No, that it might remain. God's looking for consistency. Faithfulness brings fruitfulness. Can you say man? I said faithfulness allows for fruitfulness in God's kingdom. Wow. Be faithful unto death and he will give you a crown of life. Fruit perpetual. Prayer effectual. Woo! The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man like a shot in the dark. Don't know if you're going to hit anything or get anything. No. The effectual prayer of a, right, a man. What, what's a righteous man? It's a man who is right with God. Can you say man? What happens when you're right with God and you pray? It's not just a faith matter alone. You need to be right with God before trying to use your faith. Because God said to ancient Israel, my hand is not short that it cannot save. And my ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. But your sin has separated between you and your God. And the very thing we don't want to deal with is the very thing that God wants to eliminate so He can move in our behalf and help us and bring glory to His name. Can you say man? Oh, I feel like a... I feel like I'm playing handball today. Some people... I'm, I'm, po- I'm, I'm ponging it out, and you're pinging it right back at me. Uh, honey, I didn't write this book. Let me remind you. I'm not the author of this book. Come on. You, you need to quit pinging it back at me and just ping it where it really belongs. Amen. It's you and God that has the problem. I'm not your problem. Brother Venable, you say things that upset me. Oh, I'm so glad to hear it. I'm so glad to hear it. I'm so glad that you've got a heart that can be touched today. Can you say amen? Woo! We got empty seats because sinners are convicted here. But they're sitting in church somewhere unconvicted. Unconvicted. The promised cars and wealth and healing and health. From a God who says, until you deal with the sin issue, you're wrong with me. And you need to get right with me. Return to me. And bring words. Come on. Words that lead to works. Healable. Sin defeated. Samson. Sin defeated. Saul and Jonathan. My hand is not short. That it cannot save. I'm a, I'm a God with all power in heaven and earth. My ear is not heavy that I cannot hear. I'm a prayer answering God when people are right with me. Can you say man? Hallelujah. But why? Why then? And they would ask that in the Old Testament. Why have we prayed and you have not heard and fasted and you have not seen? Isaiah 58. What's the matter you? 
get with it. I just got a promise box. I pulled out a promise. My God shall supply all of your need according to His riches and glory in Jesus Christ. What is up with that? See, man has this propensity to blame God and never search himself. It's in, oh, it's in your flesh. And it's in mine. And we have to crucify the flesh and the lust thereof. Can you say amen? How many need prayers answered? What is it? When you're up to your neck in alligators, there's no time to discuss draining the swamp. You need deliverance. Can you say, man, you need deliverance. You need deliverance. You need deliverance. You need deliverance. Well, God is a deliverer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He that shall come will come, and he will not tarry. Praise God. Amen. So the number one, see the New Testament, it was common knowledge in all of Israel. They said, we know to Christ. They said, we know. We know this. The church needs to acknowledge it. They knew it. God heareth not sinners. We've all sinned and come short. He's talking about living in unconfessed sin, living without repentance, living in it with no concern about what God says about it or what He's going to do about it. We know this. God doesn't hear sinners. Most faith seminars don't deal with sin. People are very comfortable. I'm going to build my faith, get my Bentley. Now, you can stay po if you want to. I'm going to get rich, bless God. Huh? Come on. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. Don't act like you've never heard this. You hear it over and over and over again. But what about sin? Well, that's not an issue. Jesus died for my sin. That's not, it is an issue. It's still an issue. If we say we have no... Sin. We're lying to God. We're lying to ourselves. Let me close with Laodicea, seventh church in the seven churches of Asia. Revelation chapter 3. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. How many times? And, and listen, I will use this again because God knocks on the door of people who don't know Christ through Holy Ghost conviction. But I want to remind you of something. This is not the world. This is the worldly church. It's to the what of Laodicea? To the angel of the church of Laodicea. Tell him this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door. The voice of the Lord you know where you're, did you know what you're hearing right now? I'm doing the preaching, but every time I quote a scripture, you're hearing more than me. Come on. Come on. It's God's word. I'm telling you what it says, but it's not my word. It's God's word. You can mark it. You can find it. You can read it. You can study it. It's his voice to you. I told the Lord this morning, I told the Lord, let me speak as an oracle of God. And I told the Holy Spirit, make, 
As I yield to you, let my tongue be the pen of a ready writer. Let me speak what you want my congregation to hear and the internet congregation and the radio congregation. It's not what we decide to preach on Sunday that doesn't return void. It's His Word. And He said... If any man opened the door of his heart and received my word into good ground, what happens? Fruit comes forth. Thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. Fruit perpetual. Prayer effectual. And joy celestial. Everybody say joy celestial. You know what he says about all of that in John? He said, I've spoken these things unto you. Uh Oh, by the way, he said, heretofore you've asked me nothing in my Father's name. Ask that you might receive that your joy may be full. I've spoken these things unto you that my joy might be in you so that your joy might be full. And if you want a glimpse of why Jesus was a man of such joy, every time he prayed except on the cross... When he took our sin, he said, I know that my Father always hears me. Can you say, man? Hallelujah. Glory be to God. And I want my joy to be in you. So that your joy may be full. When you become fruitful in God's kingdom, faithful in His Word, and joyful because of answered prayer. You can tell when prayers get answered. You can tell when they're not answered. I'm going to show you, you and me. I know how to do this. God bless you. God bless you too. God bless you too, Brother Hobbs. God bless you. Ask me what kind of week I had. It was bad. Ask me how your year's been up till now. How your year's been up till now. Bad. Ask me how do you expect next week to be. Expect next week to be. Bad. You can't have no expectation when you're wrong with God. When you got sin covered up, when there's tension between you and God, when the Holy Spirit is grieved with us. But when we confess and when we repent, James Robinson said, My Pentecostal brother laid hands on me. He rebuked that spirit of lust that I was entertaining. Amen. He said, God set me free. God set me free. Said the devil wanted to defeat me, bind me, get me out of the pulpit. Amen. And keep me from winning the souls that I was appointed to win. But when I confessed my sin and repented of my sin and sucked deliverance from my sin and got rid of my pride, God set me free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wow. So I'm a preacher that's going to keep on preaching repentance. And if you've got unconfessed sin, you're going to keep on getting uncomfortable. And I guarantee you, there's a church designed for you. The choir is going to sing and entertain you. 
the preacher is going to be timely. That means right now they're in line at the they're first in line at the Golden Corral. They're already there. You want to know where those churches are? Just go ask the people first in line at Golden Corral. Where do you attend church? Amen. They're in line right now. By the time we get out, they're going to be home on the couch, taking a nap or in the mall or in the movie. Amen. And if their preacher dares to preach like this on Sunday morning, they're either going to have revival or, or riot. Amen. He's going to start something. Come on. Deacon board either going to applaud him and say he sure is a man of God, or they're going to say, this is your last service. That big tither sitting in the back corner. He, he was going to write a check for $5,000 this morning. I saw him get up and leave when you said sin. How are we going to finish that building? You running people off like that. See, when you're not interested in true revival, when you don't need a miracle, when you don't just have to have God come through, can you say, man, you can, you can get by with all of that? But when you need a miracle, when you've got to have an answer, when nothing else will do, when you've got a kid like me with leukemia, and the doctor says put him in the county hospital when he gets so bad and help him to die uh, easily, whether give him some medication, some morphine. That's all the doctor could say. I'm glad that there was a church. And listen, the night I got healed, if I remember correctly, the guy preached... <laughs> On sinners getting saved. It wasn't just faith being built up for healing. It was getting right with God. And God was moving by His Spirit. Can you say amen? And I remember walking forward with my, my mama. She took me by the hand. And we're walking. And I'm walking along. And, and I, I'm pale. I have, uh, I have hepatitis. They shouldn't let me out in public. I had hepatitis. I had jaundice. My eyes were turning yellow. My skin was, was pallor and yellow. And I was weak in my, my body. As she kind of walked with me, I was leaning on her hand. And I was walking down that aisle, and I felt the presence of God. I had seen it in gospel tents and gospel meetings, but I'd never experienced it. Amen. I was eight years old, sensing the presence of God. And I, I felt it first in my ankles and feet. I felt this kind of tingling. Now you say, well, Brother Vanderbilt, uh, you, were, you were under stress and duress. And the circulation to your legs was being cut off because of that. And you were getting tingling in your toes. Well, it didn't stop in my toes, darling. It came up to my knees. Amen. Oh, well, you, you know how it is when you lock your knees because of stress. And oh, I believe all of that. I believe every word of that. Amen. I have had groomsmen faint. Not the groom, the groomsman. I was conducting a wedding in Brandon, and one of the groomsmen, he weighed over 200 pounds, and it was all muscle. I mean, you know, he had that narrow waist, and, that, and he's standing up there, and he locks his legs, and he's standing at attention, and he's never been a groomsman, and looking out at all those people looking at him, and I know how that gets stressful. Except for you, you're such a sweet audience. But anyway, he locked his knees. And I said, do you take, and I just got to the take. Do you, John, take Janice and plop? I mean, he just fainted dead away. We had to get him up and drag him over into the corner, and somebody had smelling salts, and he, 
waking up. And someone said, well, he locked his legs and it cut the circulation off to his brain. Thought, oh, Lord, help me to stay loose. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. I want to get loose. If I fall out, I want it to be the Holy Ghost, not lack of blood to my brain. They said, well, brother, well, you know, that was just your, your stress. I was eight years old. I had a pure faith heart. I believed God could do anything. Nobody told me any different. Praise God. Nobody explained away divine healing. Nobody explained away a God who doesn't answer prayer. And I got a little closer, and I felt it all up in my belly and all up in all my bones. Hallelujah. Got a little closer. See, he's praying for people. My wife, my, my mother's dragging me along. And I got a little closer, and I felt it all the way up to my head. And I got a little closer, and I felt my whole head and my hands were tingling. I just felt the power and presence of a holy God all over me. The old-time Pentecostals used to say, God's not dead. They didn't know much about theology, but they knew about the presence of God. Can you see? They couldn't defend the Bible theologically, but they could say, God's not dead. He's still alive. God's not dead. He's still alive. God's not dead. He's still alive. I feel Him in my head. I feel Him in my hand. I feel Him in my feet. I feel Him all over me. Can you say amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, we got to do more than just feel Him. But we got to be able to look in the Word and define Him. But I'm going to tell you something. He was there, and I knew He was there. And I, there was no doubt in my mind this was not some little tingling feeling because of stress, because there was something divine and holy and peaceful and powerful at the same time. Hallelujah. Oh, taste for yourself and see that the Lord, He is good. Hallelujah. The evangelist was not a very educated man, but he was a highly anointed man. We got some of the most educated preachers the world has ever seen. And so many of them depending on that education instead of the anointing. And I'm not against biblical education. I consider myself to be a scholar of Scripture. I've studied the Bible so I could nail you on Sunday for all these years. No, I haven't. No, I haven't. No, I haven't. I went to the Word of God for me. And if I find something that touches me and teaches me, I can't wait to tell it to you. And pray that it will touch you and teach you as well. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And when I got up in front of this guy, he didn't know medical lingo, medical terms. My mother got the word leukem. Pray for him. He has leukemia, cancer. You know what he did? Word of knowledge dropped in his heart. She couldn't get leukemia out. She said, pray for my son. He has leukemia. He stopped her. He just grabbed me by the head. And she said, Father, in the name of Jesus, deliver this young man from cancer of the blood. Cancer, I curse you. And in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave him. Wow. My mama didn't know if anything happened or not. But I knew something had happened. I went home and slept like a baby. And on Saturday morning, that was on a Friday night, and Brother and Sister Hodges were there when it happened. And on a Sunday night, I became their pastor and saw them through. Praise God. There were witnesses to this. On a Saturday morning, it was not only cartoon day, 
It was play with Poncho Day. Poncho was my mixed wiener dog, and he was high energy. And I was I hadn't played for with him for three months solid, and he'd come and bring a stick, and he'd want to play. And, I, and he'd get so energetic, he would chase his own tail around in circles because I wasn't playing with him, because I couldn't play with him. I laid on the couch most of the time, cancer trying to kill me. Amen. But I got up that morning. Hallelujah. I didn't even turn on the TV to watch Bugs Bunny. And that was highly unusual for me. I knew this was going to be a different day. Old Poncho was looking in the door, and I was looking out that screen door. And I thought, I'm, I've been healed last night. I'm going out and play with my dog today. I'm not going to lay on this couch today. Oh, some of you need to understand, amen, what I'm saying to you. You can lay, sit in your room in the gloom and ponder doom if you want to. But once you pray and once God hears, you need to plan your day differently. Don't plan to be defeated. <laughs> Don't plan to be defeated. Do not plan to be defeated. Change your plan. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I thought, Poncho, I'm coming. I hope you're ready. Because I got it all pinned up. I'd chase my tail if I had one. Can you say amen? I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. People looking at me like a calf at a new gate this morning. You've never heard preaching like this. You've never been in a church like this. I don't know what you're used to today, but you must have missed it this morning because you got up and come here today. I don't know what you expected to hear today, but I'm telling you, if you will get your heart clean and you will get in the Word of God and let the Word of God get in you, you will ask what you will because it will be God's will. Can you say amen? And it will be given to you. Hallelujah. Woo! And about noon, my mama was up watching me run and chase the dog and then the dog run and chase me all over the yard and she was concerned that I was overdoing it. And she called me in and she said, Bobby, don't you think you need to rest? And she told me before she passed away, she said, I felt so bad because you turned around and looked at me and said, Mama, God healed me last night. And she was so convinced by what she was seeing, not what I was saying, but what she was seeing in me. She took me back to the doctor a week later, and they ran their entire blood work, the full panel. Yeah, looking for everything. Glory to God. Come on, they did not prick my finger. They like to drain me dry. Can you say amen? Amen. I want you to give him the full. They give me the full panel. Dr. Paul Minthorn. Amen. They got back to blood work. And Dr. Minthorn was so apologetic. He said, I don't know what happened. I don't know what, what's going on. He said, we can't find anything wrong with your son's blood at all. The white count's right. The, blood, the red count's right. Everything is fine. There's no evidence of cancer anywhere. No therapy. No St. Jude's Hospital. No chemo. Nothing. Except a prayer of faith by somebody who's right with God. Can you say man? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody who's right with God. Woo! <laughs> And so he filled out the last medical report that was filled out on me. 
and he put down under the diagnosis. He did not change the diagnosis because he had the evidence from the lab. And he put down spontaneous remission. that amazing before prayer you're dying of leukemia after prayer it's gone they don't know where it's gone they don't know why it's gone they just know it's gone and so they write down the truth spontaneous remission now without god stepping in that's like spontaneous combustion remember a few years ago there was this thing going around, true or not, I don't know, but somebody's sitting in their car and they burn up, just spontaneous combustion. Honey, when prayer occurs, it's not a twilight zone event. It's God intervening. And I never forgot what God did for me. And I haven't forgot this morning. And I don't know what gets you down. But if you're dying and the Lord heals you and you're lost and God saves you and you pray and God does something so powerful after you pray, you cannot be nonchalant. The only way you can just sit and vegetate and be complacent is if your prayers are not getting answered and there's no activity or evidence of God in your life. Then you can become a passive Christian just sitting around like the rest of the world interpreting whatever hits you as God's will for you. And honey, as long as you got the privilege and power of prayer, nothing is impossible with God. And nothing is impossible to him that believes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, I think I'm going to ask for someone to give me this disc. Because I'm sure there's going to be a day I need to hear this. Hallelujah. I've never listened to one of my own discs. I, I do so much preaching. But I'm going to tell you something. We need this. In every church in America, in every Christian life in America. Because defeat has become an acceptable way of life. The absence of answered prayer is so prevalent. And God said there's one reason. Oh, there's many others, but it all comes under this umbrella. Unforgiveness. Consume it on yourself. It's all sin. Every one of those things is sin. It's all sin. If you don't forgive people, I won't forgive you. Why? Because it's a sin not to forgive them. My ear's not heavy that it cannot hear. My hand's not short that it cannot deliver and save. But your sins have separated between you and your God. I simply can't afford it. So that's why the other day I was listening to a guy on the radio. He was preaching so good and it was hitting me so clear. I thought, Lord, I don't know who in this audience this is for, but I know somebody that needs to hear this out and respond to it, and that's me. And I have been known, and I still do it, pull over in a parking lot as long as I can still make an appointment or, you know, if I'm going to the cleaners, I don't have to get there except before they close. I'm going to hear this.
Because this is talking to something that I believe I need to listen to. And I'm going to pull over. And I pulled over in a parking lot. And I sat there till the thing was done. And I said, Lord, I need that. Forgive me. Cleanse me. I want to be right with you. Because when I need a miracle, I don't want the devil to point out something. I want my faith to work. I want the confidence that I, that I see power. Power has been placed in the faith in the believer, not in the father that you're dealing with. The power's prayer is not as much in the person who prays as it is in the God who hears. And he said, if you do this, I won't hear you. If you do that, I won't hear you. If you do this. And I got a list with the scripture. It says, if you do that, I won't listen. So you can build your faith, claim the word, rebuke the devil. But if you do this and you don't repent, I won't hear you. You believe he means it? You believe he means it? Well, if I'm doing something that will cause him not to listen, somebody please tell me what I'm doing so I can get it right. Don't pet me on Sunday. Purge me. So since altars stay empty, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, evidently, our prayers are being answered. Our fruit is consistent. Our prayers are being answered. And we're filled with joy celestial. I can't wait to get to church to tell what God did for me. In all honesty, the absence of answered prayer is telling a story of a need for repentance. Because if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, I will hear from heaven. And from that point, whether it's healing the land or healing the body or healing the family or healing the hurt or healing the body, God says, I'll respond. But not until there's repentance among my people. Why have we prayed and you didn't listen? Why have we fasted and you didn't see? You ever ask God that? Open your heart for the answer. Because God lets the answer flow. He say, on my day, you're doing your thing. You're too busy judging others to judge yourself. Take away from the midst of thee the putting forth of the finger, Isaiah 58. You know how that works? She needs it. Boy, does he need it. He needs all he can get of it. Amen? Amen? Been in church so long, we think we're so there. We don't need it. It can't be for me. I've been in church for years. I know the scriptures. I go to Venables Church. You know we got it. Can you say amen? How do you know you got it? He lets us have it every Sunday. No, we all need it. 
And God said, I want to get you right with me. And I want to help you in your trouble. And when I do, I want my name to be glorified. It's a win-win. You're going to get healed. And he's going to get the praise. You're going to get help. And he's going to get the glory. Can you say man? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many want to know the things that are in the way of answered prayer? How many want to know and want to deal with it effectively so that we can have joy celestial? I've spoken these things unto you that my joy might be in you so that your joy might be full. By the way, when you get the liver shiver on Sunday morning, that's not the fullness. If prayers are not answered, you're going to be depressed in spite of all the shouting, dancing, twirling about. I've seen people shout and dance, twirl about, come back the next Sunday. Somebody talked about me on the job. <laughs> well, of course they did, my dear. Of course they did. Lord have mercy. Can you say, man? What did you expect if you lived for God on the job? Amen? Let them talk about you. Put your chair up to the table and drink from the springs of living water. Praise God. 